Oh, hey, you made it. We weren't sure anyone was able to get the broadcast. We found this huge vault full of cool things from before the event. Yeah, do you want to come check it out? Hi everyone, uh, welcome back to the Don't Go Outside podcast, episode 17. Episode we made 17. it. We did that. We made it to 17. Another another number bites the dust. Uh, with me, Patch, and my good friend Robin. Hello. Hello. We're both vault dwellers together. Uh, yeah, here to talk about some fucking shit that happened. In I mean, we don't usually do intros. That was way too formal for me. <laughs> I just thought we'd try and be like a proper podcast for once. <laughs> Fell apart there. <laughs> oh, right, okay. Uh, what are we going to talk about today, Billy? I'm going to start with the ultimate don't go outside follow-up. I'm going to link back to a topic we spoke about multiple times in the last series, but never really breached upon properly. Okay. I'm excited. Um, Nintendo Studios' very own Super Mario Odyssey. Oh. So I finally got around to playing it after running a Switch for more than three years. I've decided, you know what, I'll do Nintendo a favour and actually buy a Mario product for this Nintendo Switch. <laughs> <laughs> I've got far too many cyberpunk indie games on there. I only bought it because there was a special offer on a game. I went to buy uh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, which you'll notice I'm not talking about because it's not very good. <laughs> and there was a special offer I was like you can buy these two games for like 70 bucks I was like what a bargain I'll get Super Mario Odyssey just because you know it's going cheap when do you ever find a Nintendo game that cheap so uh, I picked it up and uh, yeah I can't believe it took me this long to play it it's delightful mm. it's very very good we used to talk about Super Mario Odyssey one how weird it looked that he was in a city full of regular humans and he was a little strange deformed Mario man <laughs> And then next time we spoke about it, I think we just seen like a longer trailer, and we were really excited about it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and I was like, oh, I've, I've played it now. I can I can report back and say it's very good. Yeah. If you own a Nintendo Switch, I recommend Super Mario Odyssey. Um, I'm gonna spoil the ending. I'm not gonna do a spoiler alert. The game's been out for ages. As a really good ending, uh, I'm gonna say progressive. I'm gonna say empowering. Uh, so the whole premise of the game is uh, Bowser's kidnapped Princess Peach again. He's going to force her to marry him. Again. Um, again. And you go... But it's an actual like wedding theme kind of surrounding the whole game. <laughs> because he's going to different worlds collecting like a wedding cake and a wedding dress and a wedding ring. You have to collect all these artifacts. Get them back and bring them back to the, the world they came from. Um, you burst through the doors during the wedding... And you're like, stop this wedding! This is this is not right! And you have a big boss fight with Bowser. And at the very end, after you've fought Bowser, pretty much to the death, uh, you've rescued Princess Peach, and then Mario, like, proposes to her. And she's like, you know what? No. I don't want to marry either of you guys. <laughs> after Mario going through all this effort to save her from uh, getting married... You'd think the classic video game thing would be Peach was would be like, yes, Mario, I will marry you finally after thirty years of being the the, the damsel in distress. But now she goes, nah, I'm just gonna go exploring the world. Uh, and then the, the kind of one of the last shots of the game is like Mario and Bowser crying together while Peach goes off on her own adventure. That's amazing. And I was like, that you know what? That's really good. But at the same time, 
Fuck. <laughs> that was, I went through a lot of work. <laughs> She's just uh, KB'd me. So thanks, Peach, uh, for showing that uh, you don't need uh, a short little deformed plumber in your life to keep you happy. Well, also, I mean, in, yeah, we could talk about the whole fact of, like, you know, it's not just about bringing tribute to another human until they fall in love with you. That's not how relationships work. Well, exactly, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know if Nintendo's being as woke as that, but it's just kind of like... It did feel a bit woke. It did feel woke. It felt, I was like, because I was like, I think traditionally, like, Peach has been like, oh, thank you, Mario, I, I love you. Have a kiss on the face. But they've not been officially married, I guess, mm-hmm. <laughs> over the course of the games. So yeah, he proposes and she's like, nah, nah. Just gonna go up. So yeah, I don't know. It felt it did feel a bit more, uh, more modern. Hmm. Um. Yeah. Don't know. I've been uh, doing a little bit of follow up myself cool. on Mario Odyssey because it did. Oh really? It, yeah, I have. Believe it or not, I was watching quite a lot of speed runs for it because, like with most Mario games, the skill ceiling on it is sky high. Nintendo tend to be very good at making games that have very low entry point, sky high skill ceiling. Sure. Um, and I've been watching some speedruns of Mario Odyssey, and it is just bananas how good people get at this mm. game. It is crazy stuff. I never even considered doing a speedrun. I mean, there are some quite skilled little jumps and shit you can do mm-hmm. that the game never fully explains. They're just there. Yeah. Moves that you can learn. The game doesn't outright say, oh, press this button to do that. It's just stuff that's available for you to do. So I can see how it would be super appealing to speedrunners. I dig it when that's in games. When it's like, it's not like hidden content. It's always there. But you just don't know how to do it yet. I mean, everyone know, everyone bangs on about Tokitori and how good that game is. I've never heard of Tokitori. It's like a puzzle Metroidvania kind of game. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing about it is... If you know what to do, you can complete the game in something like a couple of minutes. Because you actually have... You don't learn... You don't get any skills. You don't get any power-ups. Uh-huh. You've only got, like, two abilities. And yeah. you've got them from the start. You just don't know how to use them. And then as you play the game, you learn more. So you actually have all the skill sets immediate, immediately. Oh, cool. And I, I imagine... I've not actually played Odyssey, but... I imagine Mario's basic movement skill set is there. Yeah, it's always there from the, the start. start. Yeah, there's always been that way since '64. I think you could always just do like backflips and side flips and the long jumps and yeah. backflips and all the standard Mario moves. Uh, yeah, no, so it's really good. Uh, as I said, can't believe it's taken me this long to buy uh, a Mario title on the Switch. Considering I've had it since pretty much launch. I'm glad you're throwing a little plumber some love. He yeah. needs it. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it just this little indie indie series known as Mario of Nintendo of America is. Uh, yeah, just needs a little bit of support from old old patch. Uh, yeah, so I just wanted to give that a shout out because um, I know some of our more <laughs> dedicated listeners will be screaming to know. Did you ever actually play Mario Odyssey? And and yes, yes, single listener, I did. I did finally play it. So no. You know. And now I'm quitting the podcast officially. <laughs> of course, after yeah. that chapter is closed. Uh, yeah. So that's uh, so that's one thing I've been up to. Um, um, you, you know what? I, I I actually I was thinking about this quite a lot since our last recording, but we haven't actually talked much about your recent interest in Dungeons and Dragons on air. Dungeons and Dragons. And what I would like you to do is to talk me through as as a novice 
is to talk me through your interest, what you're doing with it, and your current campaign. <clears throat> a novice. Well, I mean, yeah, you've we've played before together. You were in one of the first groups I ran mm-hmm. many years ago. As you mentioned, it's a recent interest, but I've been interested in Dungeons and Dragons for a long, long time. I was thinking about this recently. I was trying to think about when I first heard about it, and it must have been like early two thousands when like third edition was around. There was like a, it, there was a set that was more of a board game. Uh huh. At that point, where it was just very much just traditional board game with just Dungeons and Dragon lore thrown in. Um. But never actually learned to play the game until about maybe five years ago. Mm. At university, picked up fourth edition, uh, which was which is famously like the most confusing and um, convoluted rule set uh, that that uh, Wizards of the Coast have put out for Dungeons and Dragons. So I quit for a while, and then came back when fifth edition came around, which is when me and you started to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to know about the game I'm running or the game I've just because I've just finished the campaign that I've been playing for three years oh yeah as a player with uh, some friends of mine from school uh, we were on an adventure uh, we were running uh, Horde of the Dragon Queen I think it's called um, I played a I played a a, a a somewhat questionable character an Arabian prince called Prince Hakim he's a bard I really hope there was no racial stereotypes. No, there was no racial stereotypes. There was no... Don't worry, I didn't... I didn't... I mean, you know, I've always got an eye on the Wokometer. I played him, uh, pretty much modelled him after... He was a mixture of Prince and Jimi Hendrix. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> he was a bard, and I was like, I want to make... Oh, I want to make, like, a funky rock and roll, like, yeah. 60s psychedelic bard. Uh, so, yeah, he was a prince from a far-flung far land... Uh, who was super spoiled and he came out on this adventure looking to gain material to write sexy songs about Uh, and uh, over the course of the adventure he died Uh, he lost an eye in order to be brought back to life Uh, he's been torn between two faiths Um, he's he's a multi this will mean nothing this will mean very little to people who don't know anything about Dungeons and Dragons but he's a multi-class bard warlock which means he's got his warlock patron is trying to make him do bad things, but he got brought back to life by Dragon Jesus, essentially. <laughs> so, by the end of the game, I was sort of like, you know what, I don't want to be chaotic, I don't want to be evil anymore, God saved my life. So we started a little evangelical, like, super group, like me and the other people I was playing with, like, we were just like, yes, the power of God is with us! And bring us through this, this, this tr- difficult time, so... When the net when we start, there's a sequel to Horde of the Dragon Queen out, and when we start that again, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna have to think about where this character's gonna go because he was a bit of like a party animal, rock and roll star. He went through an emo phase, um, and then he and then he went through like a Jesus phase. <laughs> so yeah, his uh, his warlock patron's not very happy because he's supposed to be spreading the word of of the arch fae. And make give people psychedelic nightmares, but uh, he was just—he just decided, you know what? Uh, Jesus is on my side. He's the one that brought me back to life, and all my friends are kind of, you know, they're they're his main guy. So he's just going with the crowd. He's a fickle boy, but it seems to be doing him well. So that's the story of Prince Hakim.
That's uh, just amazing. Now, um, I realise you, you think this isn't interesting. Now, I'm not sure if you're the same as me, listener, but I find talking to people who do Dungeons & Dragons fascinating. Because it's just wonderful the, like how into it you are. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm really into it. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm running a game, another game with another group at the moment, which, uh, yeah, I, I'm constantly... I'm, I'm just always thinking about it. Hmm. Always thinking about it. <laughs> oh, guys only think about one thing. <laughs> guys only want one thing and it's fucking disgusting. And it's just a picture of a, a big Prince bag of Hakeem. Ice. <laughs> Prince Hakeem. Uh, yeah, no, if, if uh, anyone follows my personal Instagram, there's always stupid pictures of my dice collections and things going up on there and pictures of game night. Well, okay, to get to the crux of it, why I love why I love Dungeons and Dragons is because it is really just an exercise in storytelling, improvisational acting, improvisational uh, management. Because as the dungeon master, as the person running the game, you, you often have to improvise uh, around situations you weren't prepared for. Mm-hmm. People being like, "Oh, can I go here and do this?" And you have to be like, "Um." Yeah, I guess so. Let me just uh, create a four-hour story so you can go and do that. Um, yeah, and it's kind of like teamwork. It's like a good team-building exercise, you know. Mm-hmm. It gets everyone to work together, and you make you make pals, you know. I've made friends through Dungeons and Dragons, so it's uh, it's just a good social time, you know. Uh, which I think has kind of become m- more mainstream recently, but I find that it's a good thing. It's one of the it's one of the little bits of nerd culture that I find can only benefit from becoming more mainstream. What is your what's your elevator pitch for Dungeons and Dragons? Uh hi, do you want to play my game of Dungeons and Dragons with me? I'll run the game, I'll tell you a great story and you'll get to play a cool uh exciting character. You can be a magician, you can be a thief or you can be a fighter or barbarian. It's set in a magical world. You can pretty much do anything so long as you roll the dice correctly and uh, if you don't like it, you don't have to stick around. Just come for one session and uh, see how you feel. See how you feel. We'll do a free personality test. and you know. <laughs> <laughs> I often feel like when I'm trying to sell people on D&D, I do feel a bit like a Scientologist or a Mormon. Well, it does sound a bit odd, doesn't it? You know, um, But I mean, I think it's fun. I think it's cool. Like... It's one of these things that, like, any hobby sounds perverse, you know, when you mm. when you put it in terms. Like, oh, yeah, w- what do you do? Oh, I go rock climbing. So, like, I literally climb up the side of a wall, put myself in great danger um, for a little adrenaline rush. It's great fun, though. You know, mm. it's bizarre. Uh, Hobbies are bizarre. Oh, yeah. No, I, 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 and it's a good hobby. I would say try it once. If you know people who want... If you know people who play Dungeons & Dragons and you want to give it a bash, just, just ask if you can play with them because... We're the most... I mean, God knows we need pals. <laughs> Lonely nerds that we are. Well, yeah, I mean, I think we could have a Dungeons & Dragons session. I'd be happy to hear updates about Prince Hakeem. I've been considering a Dungeons & Dragons podcast, unconnected mm. to this one, but there are already so many. So many. Man. Just like there are so many uh, pop culture media review podcasts, but... We're already doing this one, so I've kind of <laughs> doubled down. Laid, yeah, I'm just gonna double down on this one for a bit, see how it goes. Uh, yeah, now I think a D and D podcast would be cool, but the thing about you got to organize organizing a game is hard enough mm-hmm. to get the same people in the same room around the same time every month. 
because uh, we're all adults with jobs and commitments, and then to kind of put that into a podcast context, where it's like, okay, we're going to record once every couple of weeks, and everyone needs to be there, because we've got to record the episode. If we don't record the episode, it doesn't go out, and if it doesn't go out, then people don't don't hear us, and we don't get listens and likes and a sponsor by, from Audible, and, <laughs> and my whole life goes down the pan, and I'm <laughs> depressed, and uh, I'll just end up playing Dungeons & Dragons for fun, I guess. Yeah, great, brilliant. Oh, God damn it. No, I, I no. Thanks for asking, man. It's, it's it's good to talk about Dungeons and Dragons for a bit. I'm always always interested. Um, do you have a next topic? Yeah, and I noticed that maybe one of your topics as well. I just want to touch on it briefly because I feel the more you talk about upcoming topic, the more toxic it becomes. So I'm just gonna say. I know exactly what upcoming topic is gonna be. I'm just gonna say, Rick and Morty's back. The first episode of season four was pretty good. I'm enjoying it. Um, and I'll just leave it there. I agree. Good news, guys. We're uh, coming out with a series of Wasteland-themed ASMR cassette tapes uh, to sell as merch on our new store, www. Uh, this isn't a real website. <laughs> com. <laughs> Slash DGO podcast slash R slash NSFW gifts. <laughs> Hello there, Wastelander. Would you like to talk about books in this ASMR? Wasteland Cassette tape We'd like to talk about All of the things that you have read From all of the different scraps That have been left Within the wasteland I'd like to take the time To personally Look after you And talk through All different things that you might have found out there on the wasteland in your very... I can't take ASMR seriously. On your very exciting and dangerous journeys. Listen more at the Don't Go Outside cassette tapes available on pay-per-view Paper view. Available now for purchase at every good wasteland trading stop. Thank you. Now I have been really excited to watch The Irishman, Scorsese's new film. Yeah, is that out? Yeah, when's that coming out? It's out, apparently. I don't know. Oh, shit, okay. So, right. Let's just, let's just, like... Let's take a backup, right? And remember that this is what happens in 2019. This is... We're in 2019, and this is what's possible. De Niro? Pacino, I think. Yeah, I think so. Pesky are in a film directed by Scorsese mm-hmm. that's not going to cinemas... And is being released directly to streaming services. 
Yeah. This is the world in which we live. So my, it's, 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 it's insane. It's almost it's more insane, insane than our made-up world that we currently live in. Blows my mind. Um, so that's the world we live in. But I haven't watched this yet because I wanted to do some preparation first. I wanted to get limbered up. So what I've been doing recently is doing a grand tour of the gangster films. Okay. I've been going through them all, working through the backlog. Um, doing your homework. Doing my homework. And my God, I forgot how amazing some of these films were. Um, so obviously the first one I dove into was Goodfellas. Yeah, I've still to watch that. That's been on my watch list for the longest time. Patch, this is the third time I've seen it. And it is... Just a glorious piece of cinema. Yeah, I want to watch it. It is just, just wonderful. Um, and it's like, I don't know, all the moral ambiguity of Gangster, the, like, the humour of it. I think the humour is probably the key thing that's that makes it compelling. The fact that you watch these people do terrible, terrible things. But you kind of think it's funny. You kind of get swept up in it. Mm-hmm. Because you're like, ah, oh, you're terrible, but oh, it's entertaining. Ah, oh, it's all right. Um, and how Joe Pesky can just play characters that are just so, so terrible. He's just an utter dirtbag, but you're like, ah, oh, Joe Pesky, it's okay, mate. It's okay. So yeah, I watched Goodfellas, Casino, Bronx Tale, watched American Gangster 2, but that doesn't really fit into that triad so much. It's American Gangster, the one with Denzel. It's Denzel Washington Back and uh, Russell Crowe. Yeah, a I was going to say Jay Leno. Jay-Z done an album called American Gangster based on the uh, on the movie. Um, Jay Leno did not do that. that was, I don't know. I get my J's crossed. Um, and there was actually an interesting thing about... Because I was looking... I was reading about American Gangster after I watched it. And uh, the, the guy um, got out... The, the titular American Gangster, he actually got out of prison in uh, 1995, I think. Oh, so it's based he died, on... He died last year or this year. Mm. Based on a real guy. Based on true events. But one of the, of the judges at his hearing said was that the real-life character was brutish, violent, and illiterate. Everything that Denzel Washington was not. In the movie. In the film. Uh-huh. And it's just like... It really... Made me think like this larger question of should we be making films about like about characters like this and make them so false and then claim because the film really links into it is attached to a true story uh-huh. and then to so wholeheartedly glamorize a criminal who is like a, real, a real person a real person mm, that's a good point yeah, um... I'm not sure. Because we're always going to have glamorised characters from history. And, you know, at what point is that okay? What point is it not okay? I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, because people are going a bit... Speaking of that, we were talking about it a little bit after recording last week. But the film Jojo Rabbit, uh, Taika Waititi's new out. And people are getting upset over that because he's uh, turned Hitler into kind of a comedic uh, character. And they're like, you can't make Hitler a funny person. It's like, well... You can, that's entirely the point, is to take all the power away from the negative Let's image. Let's just go back to our boy Charlie Chapman, eh? Charlie Chapman, I suppose, yeah. He did it. He did it. Before Hitler was f- famous even. Well, uh, he did The Dictator. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he made fun, was it called The Dictator? Yeah. Yeah. The Great uh, Dictator, maybe. Something along mm-hmm. those, I think it's The Great Dictator. 
whatever it was, like the most powerful tool in the toolbox of making horrible people look stupid is to mock them and make them into soft, cuddly characters. Uh-huh. Um, that are st- ostensibly stupid. It's a mockery. It's a mockery. Um, so the fact that, like, I mean, is anyone getting up in arms at Charlie Chaplin? Not currently. Then. So, I mean, I'm sure I could find something on the internet, someone yeah. being angry at Chaplin. Um, um, and also, it's so. My, my, what I'm raising about the American gangster problem is that it's, it, it's so close to reality and it's almost claiming to be it. Okay. Whereas, um,. Jojo Rabbit. Jojo Rabbit. It's not claiming to be reality in any... It's fantastical. It's clearly nonsense. Yeah. You know, there is no way... There's no way you're going to show this piece of media to a sane human being and for them to say, yes, okay, this is a very fine and true representation of the Second World War in Germany. No, it's bloody not. Mm. Whereas if you were to show a sane human being, American gangster, and deny them any other external source of information, they could probably say, yeah, okay, that seems fair enough, that seems about right to what happened. So to equate these two, or to say that Jojo Rabbit is in some way making Hitler into some kind of a softened character to to make us think that Hitler isn't as bad as he was, that's nonsense. Yeah. Get out of town. Get right out of my vault. Uh, no, I'm looking forward to Jojo Rabbit, actually. Uh, you're looking forward to The Irishman. I am. I'm looking forward to Jojo Rabbit. I'm looking forward to Jojo Rabbit. I'm sure. I'm actually also looking to Irishman. So we're all uh, looking forward to things. Just looking looking a hell of a lot. Looking forward to a hell of a lot of stuff. You know what else I'm looking at? What? You McGregor on McGregor watch. Uh, let's, let's go to the McGregor cam. Um, I've I've done a little a little snippet. What's he up to? Uh, he doesn't tweet very much, man. I tweeted last in March, so it's been hard to keep track of him. But I have checked out his fan account, EwanMcGregor.net, and um, most recently it's, it's generally been uh, Doctor Sleep related mm-hmm. chat. Uh, he's been on Conan banging on about Doctor Sleep. Sure, yeah, of course. And you know what? You know what's happened? Is the fact that because we've started McGregor Watch, because obviously you and McGregor, the silent party of the podcast, um, is so dear to us and so close to the show. Good friend of the show, you and McGregor. I'm gonna have to watch Doctor Sleep, aren't I? Yeah, I'm afraid you're gonna have to just uh, watch, give money to your old nemesis, Mike Flanagan. Mike right? fucking Flanagan. Every time I think I've got out, you drag me back in. Well, he's drag me. He's holding McGregor hostage. Ugh. Mike, who are you going to get next? Who are you going to take from me? Why are you doing this? Yeah. Mike fucking Flanagan. It'll be McAvoy next, uh, but we'll talk about McAvoy later on. Uh, we are going to be talking about McAvoy. <laughs> you got anything from McGregor Watch? Uh, McGregor Watch. Um, no, I mean... Fictional or not. <laughs> <laughs> fictional or otherwise. McGregor Watch. I mean, all I know is he's still... He, he hasn't mentioned any of his charity work that he does on his uh, press junkets. None of the stuff that he does for the gargoyles. Mm. Stays uh, very quiet about that. Yeah, it's, it's almost like he's ashamed of it or something. Which no um, one should be ashamed of being friends with gargoyle. No, I mean, they get a bad rap, you know, because they are uh, scary. Well, I mean, there's the enormous problem with gang violence and drug trafficking. 
But you know what, if you look at the socio-economic climate that surrounds Gargoyle society, then, you know, it's, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't pin that down to every single Gargoyle. You shouldn't have to distance, you shouldn't have to feel like you need to distance yourself from the Gargoyles, McGregor. I mean, I've seen you, uh, you know, picking up an orphaned Gargoyle from, from the street, looking for his mother, you know, giving it a little bit of your own fresh breast milk. <laughs> because you and McGregor famously lack tits. Yeah, uh, on command. <laughs> on command. But yeah, I mean, I've got many, like, gargoyles are cool, man. Like, generally, I think, yeah, sometimes they turn to stone. Sometimes you can't tell if they're a building or not. Um, they have an incredible bloodlust. But you know what? If you put all that to the side, pretty cool guys. Cool guys. They had a really good uh, cartoon show in the 90s all about gargoyles, which I feel like I'm going to have to watch now. I feel we Because of this show. Them. I was with a gargoyle once in college. Uh huh. It was a pretty good time. I mean, you have to wear like a lead condom. I mean, these are exciting times for us all, really. Um, exciting for me especially because I've been watching the net series Box Peak. Uh, what is Box Peak, Pat? <laughs> Let me tell, tell you about Box Peak. Talk to me about Box Peak. I'm really passionate Peak. about Box Peak at the moment. It's... Can we say Box Peak again? Yeah, a uh, Box Peak. <laughs> Let's try and really get those levels up on Box the B and the P. Peak. <laughs> Box Peak <coughs> is a series I've been watching uh, created by um, the Easy Allies, which is a YouTube channel that I've been following since since inception. It's the guys that used to be on GameTrailers.com before oh, GameTrailers right, got okay, shut okay. down. And now they uh, are funded almost exclusively by Patreon. And one of their... Uh, one of their goals was to get this uh, little anime, this uh, to basically get this anime funded called Box Peak, which is made just by one of the guys called Kyle Bossman. Uh, it's a kind of uh, animated show made with paper puppets, really? paper puppets on Box Peak. <laughs> um, so it's like a little paper puppet show about this boy that goes around uh, an island playing a game called Box Peak. Where you have to hide in a box and uh, peek at someone for at least four seconds, and if they peek at, peek back at you, if they catch you peeking, then you lose the game. It's a, it's sort of a send up of sort of like Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh and all that stuff. Like the game is kind of like what the culture of the island is all about, and everyone's obsessed with box peek. Right. Uh, so and it's just really funny. It's just a good kind of like parody of like, like I mentioned, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a sort of battle anime sort of thing, but it's just stupid characters and uh, there's lots of quite serious kind of lore like it's one of those things where it's quite silly and like frivolous but like under the surface there's like quite a serious like dark lore behind it right. there's like an island uh, called like there's there's a place called Bone Island where they just send all their prisoners to and they're just stuck there for life wow there's a there's like a man who's like ruined his marriage uh, from like playing Box Peak too often <laughs> <laughs> but like the main characters are like 10 years old and they just love playing box peak and uh, it's it's really good I recommend it if you if you're looking for a good watch it's only like I said it's just a short mini series eh um but yeah check out box peak cuz it is a, it's something really special and it just makes me happy so it's currently out uh every friday i think season 2 is only maybe four episodes so i think there's maybe two uh two episodes left 
So there'll be eight episodes of it in total, and it's just it's just a good time. Man, that sounds right up my street. Uh-huh. I'm into that because it sounds slightly surreal. It sounds it, it it's it's hitting some buttons, man. Yeah, and those buttons are my buttons. Yeah. Did Scarlet get get snapped? She snapped in half. Jeez, she's a broom. Domestic violence isn't a joke, there, Patch. Oh. Is it really domestic violence if she's a broom, you, stick, candle, mop? You, you and her were together for a long time. Yeah. I was kind of hoping we could uh, gloss over that bit of lore in our new season and just <laughs> kind of start fresh. Why? Because I'm past it, mate. I love the Scarlet Mop. I Hansen. just want you to drop it, mate. <laughs> just drop it. <laughs> I mean, you can talk about her all you want, but I'm over it, baby. <laughs> I've moved on with peace and love. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm on the new wasteland dating surface called uh, Waster. <laughs> uh, you just there's no phone signal, so you just kind of have to draw a picture of yourself and the dirt in the back of all the abandoned vans and hope that someone. Uh, Likes it. <laughs> uh, d- d- I mean, we've been needing that in the wasteland for a long time. I feel it's a lonely place. A little bit, a little bit of companionship, a little bit of companionship, and a little bit of love in the wasteland. Waster, bringing people together f- forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So if you see any. Because there's a, been a lot of dust storms and a lot of abandoned cars and houses. Just if you're feeling a little lonely, just go and scroll uh, in the back of a van. Say, find me at these coordinates and draw your best, your best portrait of yourself you can. Me personally, I like to press my face into the dirt. Oh yeah, and leave an imprint and have a little hashtag. My nose is not usually this squashed. Um, call me for for love and affection and uh, waster <laughs> the dating app for wastelanders are you ready for topic of the week for topic of the week I want to talk about one more thing actually because it's Ooh. quite uh, quite pertinent quite current a lot of people are talking about it um, is it current? Is it is it is it hot? It's hot. It's new. It's current. It's now. It's not Rick and Morty. I'm afraid because uh, I feel the more the more fuel you put on the Rick and Morty fire, the worse it gets. Just don't talk about it. It's good. Yeah. Done. We should just have a weekly check in on Rick and Morty. Is it good? Is it good? It's fine. Hi. Cool. Let's move on. How's Rick and Morty doing? Great. Just stop talking about it. Because like I find no. Just to segue just a little bit, I honestly didn't realise I just blanked all mention of Rick and Morty from my life it hasn't been shown up on YouTube at all it's not been shown up on Reddit There's I've seen somehow successfully managed to just get rid of Rick and Morty from my life yeah uh, just because I was just sick of hearing all the memes and stuff and then it came back and I was like yeah I'll watch a new episode and it's really good and I find the less you hear about it mm-hmm. just drown it all out watch the episodes as they are yeah perfect media blackout I recommend it that's why we live in a vault Exactly. So I went media blackout. Yes. On a little, a little game, a little independent title called Death Stranding. 
Oh, ho, ho, ho. There's a little-known title from a little-known publisher called Sony of Japan, America, Europe. <laughs> Europe? From a little guy, a little eccentric, a little Japanese fellow called Hideo Kojima. Crazy oh, genius. Oh, Kojima. I actually love Kojima. He's a mad bastard. I'm kind of in love with him just a little bit. He, he, like, he's fully insane. Uh-huh. A fully insane man. He's, so, Hideo Kojima has made a game based on the, based on the following sentence. Sometimes, Hideo Kojima feels lonely. <laughs> so here's a video game about Hideo Kojima being lonely and what you can do if you're a lonely little man as well. <laughs> I think you should probably backtrack a little bit and give the listener some background as to who Hideo Kojima is. Hideo Kojima is the creator of the Metal Gear Solid series, mm. a series which its last instalment was fraught with uh, strife and trouble as the publisher he was previously uh, tied to, Konami, uh, really just, just decided all they want to do is just pump games out as fast as possible. Uh so they can move on to their uh, new passion, which is pachinko and gambling machines. Makes more money. Makes makes a ton of money. Uh, so they really, they really, they essentially fired Kojima for no reason other than you're not making us pachinko machines anymore. Therefore, you are worth nothing. Off you go. Make your game with as little effort as possible, and. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm getting a little bit sidetracked here. So Hideo Kojima is famous for the Metal Gear Solid series. Um, and since leaving Konami, formed Kojima Productions, which is his own gaming studio. And uh, they essentially got bought by Sony. Decided, listen, Kojima, we love what you're all about. We just want to give you money to make basically what's on your mind. Just turn it into a video game. It'll make billions of dollars. Uh, so he's made a game that just looks like the brain, like you're inside the mind of a PlayStation 4. <laughs> like, aesthetic. like, do you remember the when you used to boot up PlayStation 2? Yeah. And it would go... <laughs> and all the towers and the orbs? Yeah, I remember that. It just feels like that's been made into a video game. That uh, is a weird descriptor. If you ever play it, because I, I know you're, you you don't have much in the way of games consoles anymore, but if you play, you'll see what I mean immediately. Anyone who's listening who's played Death Stranding, hopefully knows what I'm talking about, and I'm right. not just breathing shit. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, um, Death Stranding uh, is a game that's been hotly anticipated for for a good few years now. Mm-hmm. Got announced at the Game Awards, and it's just been shrouded in mystery. Mm-hmm. Kojima's like crazy like that he's like what's my game about you don't know there's ghosts there's babies Norman Reedus is here from The Walking Dead but also here's Guillermo del Toro <coughs> and Mads Mikkelsen the, the mighty Mads Mikkelsen who's just just wonderful I've been re-watching Hannibal uh, the TV series he's the coolest guy love it love it so yeah uh, so the game finally came out and the, the curtain has been lifted uh, and uh, the game's getting really mixed reviews because Obviously, expectations were so high, the creator of Metal Gear Solid is his first solo project. Essentially, what's he going to do? Um, and essentially, uh, he's made a game where you just wander around in a in a post-apocalyptic uh, America, delivering parcels to people who live in bunkers under the ground. Much like our situation here. You're a post-apocalyptic postman. Yes, but it is... Wonderful. 
It's beautiful. I love it. Is this is it wonderful and beautiful because of the mechanics? Is it meditative? Is it beautiful? Like it's all those things. Break, well, the mechanics, break. not so much. I mean, okay. So is this in the sort of like beautiful walking sim genre? Yeah. So a lot of people are giving it flack, but they're just they they they're seeing it and they go, "Ha ha, walking sim," which has kind of became the immediate tired joke as soon as the game came out. I hate that pattern. I hate it. It's shite pattern. Because Walking Sim, we used to have a regular segment called the Walking Sim Zone or oh, something like that. Oh, yeah. Uh, and yeah, no, I love a walk, but like it's not a walking simulator uh, in the same vein as Breath of the Wild is not a walking simulator. Mm-hmm. It's got a very, it's got loads in common with Breath of the Wild in that you are just a guy trying to make his way in the in what I'm calling the ghost apocalypse. Yeah, <laughs> because. The Death Stranding refers to, um, essentially, um, the link between the afterlife and our, and the pre-life, I guess, the regular world. The link, uh, whatever was separating those two, got smashed and the ghost world came and took over and destroyed the landscape. So you're walking around in America, which, which is very different from what you might recognise. It's all mount- it's all mountainous and rugged. It's a bit of a blasted hellscape, but it's like lonely and beautiful. You're just a guy walking around, delivering parcels here and there, trying to reconnect uh, America after it's been sh- uh, shattered apart from these massive ghost explosions. <clears throat> okay. I mean, I'm, I'm totally on board with this. Like, yeah. I think there should be more room for. There should be more room for not needing to have your face blasted with action at every second. There should be more room for quiet contemplation. Now, yeah, so this is one reason why I think people are disappointed with it. Mm-hmm. Because, like I said, I've not. Like, I came into this thing, a kind of media blackout mm-hmm. with it. I kind of. I, Sort of forgot it was coming out until the, the week before. I was like, oh, Death Stranding's coming, great. And I saw a couple. I saw a few like TV spots for it, and TV ads for games are always like, oh, look at this guy, he's got a gun, he shoots people, and he runs away, and he's trying to survive in the post-apocalypse. It's, it's a bit dangerous, but then I can see why people then buying it on that premise would be disappointed by the first five hours of the game being mainly exposition and walking basically through mountains... And in the rain, while uh, sad music plays, mm. it's beautiful. How is the score? Is it good? Uh, the score is great. Um, <laughs> so I was reading an interview with Kojima uh, after I bought the game, and he basically went on holiday to Iceland. This game makes so much more sense after learning that he spent some time in Iceland. Like the the landscape looks very Icelandic, and the soundtrack is mainly this. Um, Icelandic musician called Low Roar. Oh yeah, uh, his name's Low Roar. Low Roar. Wow. Very like melancholic, uh, quiet sort of like kind of electronicy sort of stuff. But it's very like it really puts you in this sort of like con- contemplative mood where Norman Reedus is just kind of a lonely man walking the hills, trying his hardest, hiking up mountains. You could almost it almost feels like. Uh, like a montage mm-hmm. but like obviously it's not because you're you're doing the whole hike yourself but you could picture a montage of him like struggling through the rain 
avoiding terrifying like spirits uh, hiding from ghosts and like you know falling down cliff faces while his cargo gets scattered everywhere you have to go around and pick it all back up it's very like exhausting and it's really rewarding to to get to your destination and be like here's all this cargo I've travelled halfway across America on foot to deliver it here you go uh, no, it's just a really... I'm really enjoying it. It's just... Um, yeah, I've, I've actually, before recording, I've spent far too much time today playing it, which is why I've got a bit of a headache. <laughs> so, yeah. That's, I mean... Look, I mean, you know my opinion on, on the whole walking sim and the whole, like, room for beauty, but it's just... I mean, it, it's bringing a lot of Dear Escher vibes to me, you know? I found that great game, because it is a bleak walk, you know, but it is just a man walking, there is moments of beauty. And it's, I mean, this sounds like it is, I mean, there's, it seems like that DNA is in there. Yeah. Um, and I mean, the soundtrack of that was something so affecting, um, me and a good friend of mine went to an orchestral rendition of it oh shit yeah I heard about that while the game was played I was gonna go to that I totally missed it Patch it was one of it's strange to say this but it's one of the most formative experiences I've had with games and it didn't involve playing a game yeah I would have I would have loved to go with that truly it was a truly bizarre experience and truly just really emotive it was one of those ones that it finishes and you're left just unable to sort of compute and interface with the normal universe again because you're so absorbed by it. But more games like that never make me sad. So Death Stranding, that's something Mm. I'm sold on. But go on, um, what's the... beyond, Beyond the sort of like walking simulator beauty and the... Contemplative nature of it. What's the main, what's the hook? What's the baby on his chest for? <laughs> well, see now we're getting into the crux of the story, which is kind of bonkers. But that's kind of that's again Hideo Kojima. Just they gave they gave they he's just been given free reign to do whatever he wants. And this is like this is everything I've wanted to talk about in a video game for the past thirty years. <laughs> 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 I want to have I want to have. Dead whales, just in a, not even on the beach, just on a mountain somewhere. I want to have a baby that you're linked to um, that detects ghosts. I want to have ghosts that walk around on their hands and leave muddy handprints everywhere. I want a man in a mask. Uh, everyone has to wear a mask because I'm Hideo Kojima and I love people in masks. <laughs> and all these characters have like just fantastic names like Dead Man, Die Hard Man, Heart Man... Uh, there's a woman in it who's just oh there's a woman in it just who's just called Mama because uh, she's a woman with a baby and they just call her Mama. <laughs> the Okajima's uh, one of those people who is terrible with names but at the same time fantastic with names because like to go back to Metal Gear Solid, there was like one of the bosses in Metal Gear Solid Two was a fat man and he was just called Fat Man. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I love it. So, so the baby on your chest. Yeah. Uh, which I was thinking as I was playing it today, um, it's it's essentially a tool that the some of the people who walk around the wasteland use to detect the spirits that are part of the stranding that will attack you. So the baby will wake up, and a little arm on your shoulder will kind of like point towards like a radar towards where the ghosts are, um, and you kind of have to look after the baby a little bit. It's like that primary school experiment where they give you a bag of sugar and you have to look after the baby. Because sometimes if you trip over or the baby gets scared, it starts crying. So you have to like stop whatever you have to drop whatever you're doing, whether you're in the middle of a massive 
boss battle or whatever and like move your controller up and down to like rock the baby to put it back to sleep wow <laughs> which is nice if you're if you're doing nothing but there was a boss battle where like i was in the middle of like a war <laughs> like the baby kept crying and there were people shooting at me but because like the the playstation 4 controller has a speaker in it which mm-hmm. you forget about until the first time you play death stranding and all of a sudden you hear a baby crying from your controller like, oh oh shit oh, fuck i forgot it's just the game so the baby is just like constantly crying when you're in a stressful environment so go back here there's boss battles uh, there have been a couple boss battles, yeah. So, th- like, there is action in it. Right. Uh, but, like, so the boss battles work well when they're connected to the ghost worlds. Like, yeah. to like so it's really interesting, actually. So the ghosts kind of manifest themselves in kind of like a black tar, uh, mm-hmm. sort of goo, that kind of drags you down into the ground. And at first I thought the game was bugging out because it kind of was in first person. I was, like, being dragged through a forest and all, like, my arms were flailing about everywhere. I couldn't see what I was doing. It was super disorienting. And I was like, the game's bugged. What am I doing? But it turns out, no, I was just being dragged towards, like, this giant kind of eldritch horror. which oh, started nice. just, like, chase, marching after me, slapping his hands down. And you have to, like, use your own blood uh, to, like, in a grenade to, to destroy them. Blood grenades. Blood grenades. Uh, yeah. Uh, and kind of as the kind of pool of tar like expands like old buildings like parts of like the old landscape of America like come out of the ground and like old abandoned cars like because like, you could be in like the middle of like a forest but like no there used to be a city here so like all the buildings come out of the ground you have to like climb up onto rooftops and stuff that is nuts it's crazy anyway so the baby kind of can tell you sort of when this stuff's about to happen uh, and kind of the what are the I don't want to spoil the game too much because uh, I know a lot of people are kind of like interested in the mystery of it all, but as you're told at the very beginning, like this is a baby, but it's a tool. Don't get attached to it, because <laughs> just remember it's just a tool. But obviously, because it's a baby, because it's a baby. Norman Reedus names it, and it's like this is my baby. Now. <laughs> obviously, there's a problem with the baby that has to get solved. It's like don't worry, it's just a tool. He goes, no, it's it's a baby. It's my it's my baby. <laughs> it's my baby. <laughs> it's my baby boy. I love it. So yeah, I love. And I it's such my baby. And I I'm you know not a huge fan of kids. I'm more of a pets guy than a babies guy. But it's a very cute baby. I'm a uh, both guy. It's okay to be both. Yeah. Um, fair enough. But uh, yeah, no, I, I know it's okay to be both. But I just genuinely prefer pets we're getting off topic we're getting off topic but he gets of of course he gets told don't get attached to this baby and he what does he do he goes and gets attached to it causes all causes all kinds of problems yeah so it's cool really enjoying it i'm glad and i'm glad that i've had such a good description of it because i I was pretty fascinated by it Um, Mm -hmm. and i was fascinated by the mixed reviews as well so i'm glad you've kind of put that to bed to some extent it's one of those things that i'm kind of disappointed that people aren't enjoying it because a lot of the reasons why i'm hearing people aren't enjoying it is because they were expecting like a metal gear solid style action game if you saw the because i have seen the adverts and i mean that's that's a bit of a bait and switch by sony Uh uh-huh come on guys well, it's a difficult thing to market. It's a difficult thing to but market. But then, the thing is, like, I like I would say it's a lot more similar to Breath of the Wild than it is to Metal Gear Solid. You could market it like Breath of the Wild was marketed. Because it's that sim- same feeling of being isolated and exploring uh, this new world and just discovering, like, you're always discovering new shit. 
and like it's online in the way that Dark Souls is online. Oh. So you never encounter you never encounter other well in Dark Souls you do encounter other players, but it's not a multiplayer game. Yeah. And this like the online mode is just people helping each other out. That's cool. They'll just like they'll put like a they'll put a ladder to go up a cliff if you, to help you climb up a cliff. They'll put up signs being like, Watch out, there's ghosts in this area, avoid this area. They'll build like little safe houses and you can do all this as well. Yeah. And this is Kojima again, Kojima's philosophy of like multiplayer games are like far too violent. He wants like to make a multiplayer game where people just help each other. And uh, yeah, just help each Kojima, other. Out. Man. Kojima's a genius, and I love him. Um, and I think uh, uh, I think he deserves everything he's 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 getting. <laughs> well, you heard it here last. Kojima's great. Go play Death Stranding. Now, something else that's as dark as ghosts. Darkest um, ghosts. Our our topic of the week. Oh man, could I grab a, some more water before we get onto this? Of course. Am I going to ruin the flow? A bit. But I need to I need to flow as well. <laughs> we'll be right back after this Please? talk from our sponsor. I've been I, I've been uh, doing some interesting stuff in the uh, in the, the hentai cage. Uh, I just dove right in there, swarmed around. No, yeah. So this is a problem because it was the anime cave, yeah. and in the two years we were gone, the anime kind of got out of control, okay. and uh, just like any. Whenever you leave anime unattended for too long, it does tend to turn into the seediest, most disgusting filth. Well, here's here's what I'm saying. One, I think that moral judgment is, you know, don't stink my kink. Um, <laughs> well, there's a difference between stinking kinks and that kink stinking out my vomit. <laughs> Look, I think I think this is what's happened. Now we all know about the Eldritch Portal that we're just not addressing. It's at the bottom of the vault. You just addressed it. Well, you know, sometimes... You're going to have to make another blood sacrifice. I now. think... Oh, God. I think what happened was some eldritch energy seeped into the anime cave. Oh, the tentacles. And the then that's, you know, got a bit funky. But here's what I'm saying, man. I, I took a dive right in there to get over Scarlet. And you know what, man? Some of those tentacle monsters... Oh, nice guys. No, I guess you. The thing is, like, all you see in hentai is like you see all that dirty stuff. You don't see it afterwards. There's a lot of tentacle hugs going on. Someone makes a sandwich. It's a nice time. It's all very respectful. No, I, 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 uh, I'll just take your word for it, mate. I'm not going anywhere near it. From from dark, from uh, from death stranding dark ghosts. What, what was your link again? <laughs> I used the darkness of the ghosts to segue into his dark materials. Our topic of the week. Topic of the week. His dark materials. The new BBC slash HBO co-production based on the Philip Pullman series of books uh, of the same name. To be honest, what I'm going to start this with is... I'm really glad we had such a long discussion about Death Stranding. <laughs> okay, yeah, cool. Alright, yeah. Um, uh, now, as I remember how we used to do this section, is we would start by saying what we thought about it immediately. How, did you like it or did you not? No, I'm not so keen on it. And I'm kind of disappointed that I'm not so keen on it. I did not like it. Nah. Not at all. Nah. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. I mean, there were bits that I liked, but um, 
yeah, no, I was I kind of was hoping for something uh, better. I think this is what I mean about media blackouts, man. I wasn't really expecting much from Rick and Morty, and I loved it. Didn't really know much about this Stranding, really enjoyed it, and then I kind of read the whole first book in the series in preparation for this to come out, uh, and I was I saw all the trailers, quite hyped for it, and then I was like, ugh. We come from different standpoints on this and different points of experience because I've never read the novels. I never got caught up in that when they were released. Well, I've only recently read the first one. Well, I haven't read them recently and I knew nothing about this. Nothing about it other than that, you know, there was daemons, like kid, uh, people have animals that are attached to their souls. Yeah. Um, that's all I knew about it. Um, so we do come from different standpoints. Now, would you like to go first or shall I in our... our feelings about this uh i'll go first um, uh just uh, well, i was talking about the book last week yep uh at least the audiobook version of it uh i'll go first um yeah i don't know it just, they just really i guess dive into a lot of stuff that i think happens later in the series uh like the parallel universe stuff is touched upon in the first book this first series of his dark materials is based on the first book um called northern lights uh-huh uh and the whole parallel universe thing is kind of what kicks off the story. Uh, but they really dive into... Uh, well, we're going to dive into spoilers, actually. I just put that out there. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Um, yeah, they dive into the parallel universe stuff from episode two. Like, a guy can just traverse between worlds very easily. Whereas, like, you, th- the first book builds us up as this crazy difficult thing that someone has to go on a massive adventure to get to a portal that takes them to another another world um yeah which which is interesting it kind of gave me stuff to be interested in which i was not previously aware of in the book i was like okay that's how that works cool just find a portal come to modern day london great cool lovely um i thought there was just stuff i think generally just a lot of things in it weren't really represented well enough namely like the Egyptian people they get a lot of description and build up kind of in the first few chapters uh, so you really understand the, the Egyptian culture and how they're different from say uh, Lyra uh, the main character Lyra's home in the in Jordan College in Oxford because she's from a very scholastic background whereas the Egyptians are quite you know they're just a different culture than she's used to whereas in the TV series it's just like oh here's just a bunch of people uh, unrelated to Lyra's story at all, uh, they're just going to go find this missing child, and it's like, well, as so if I guess, I mean, you've never read the books, but I'm thinking if someone had never read the books, you'd just be thinking like, who are these people and why do they matter? Why are we not focusing on Lyra's story? Mm. But what did you what What do you make of that? Um. <laughs> Sorry, I gave you a lot to to feed off there, but okay. Well, what do I think about that? I mean, as a whole, or specifically the underdevelopment of the Egyptian people? Uh, yeah, well, the underdevelopment of the Egyptian characters, because they're really interesting characters in the book, uh, but here they're just kind of like, I don't know, they're, they're, that's just like a, um, that's like a B-plot, which you just kind of jump straight into with, with no background. It's exactly what it felt like. Yeah. It's exactly what it felt like. It mm-hmm. felt like a B-plot rather than them being part of the universe. They yeah. were just a vehicle. Yeah. In fact, perhaps this this like hits on why uh, the, one of the central things that I dislike about this it's 
trying so hard to follow the Game of Thrones model, the HBO model of having multiple intertwined plot lines that are going on at the same time. Okay, yeah, yeah, and I it's see just that. like I can see this di- directorial style a mile away, and it's like that's that doesn't even feel right for this story. You know, uh, it no. doesn't feel like that's. It feels like it's hammed in, and it feels like it sort of doesn't. Like obviously, it worked for Game of Thrones because it was built like that. But it feels like it was strung in for this because it fits that directorial style. Yeah, because the the story, at least in Northern Lights, is told from one perspective, mm-hmm. and that's Lyra Belasco's perspective. You see everything through her eyes, so to have the B-plot of the Egyptians, and then again the C-plot of the guy who can of the of one of the church Nazis who can jump between worlds, is just like I don't feel you need that much information on it. No, like why couldn't it just be following one person? Yeah. Um. So, I suppose this, this pause is for me to fill in with my thoughts on this. Uh, now, I couldn't get through to the second episode. Oh, so you've only seen the first one? And it felt like I'd spent ten years watching it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did not like this at all. And, I mean, I made a, I made a lot of notes at the time. So, like, here's, here's a couple of the problems. Number one, namely, what I spoke about in our last episode. I hate Chosen One Media. Yeah. I really, really, really dislike it. And I hoped that maybe they were going to downplay that. No, they upplayed it. They made it stronger than ever. Um, Lyra is the special, special person who's going to fix everything. Oh, special child. Can't stand that form of media because I think it just discredits the humanity of everyone. Sure. And that was only hammered home by making an entire people a B-plot. Yeah, an ent- yeah that's, that's true. That's yeah. it. Because they don't really matter. They're not really people. You know what matters? Lyra and her Lyra-ness. Oh, it's all about Lyra. Well, the story is about her. I know. It's about her, but it's... She's not special. Well, she is in the story, but people aren't special. I find that bothersome. I don't like that kind of media. But we can write that off as personal taste. Now, another issue I have with this kind of story is I put it in the sort of Harry Potter, Lion, the Witch, and Wardrobe basket of Middle English fantasy... And it's like, it's this sort of thing of like, you know, it's these people who grow up in middle English backgrounds and have nice lives. And I'm like, I'm not throwing out a check your privilege here. That's cool. And I know a lot, I know more people than that, more people than that demographic enjoy these forms of media. But it just gave me that overwhelming feeling of like, you know, nice Middle Englishness, and that—that's the main problem here. Okay, that's that's the main demographic aimed at. Interestingly enough, Pullman has come out against uh, *Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe* quite famously. Like his this series is kind of a reaction to the overt Christian themes in in that series. Right. Okay, Christian themes. Okay, I can. I, uh-huh. Fair enough. They're very yeah. different, but like the nature of the story. Yeah, the nature I can of the see fantasy, what you mean. Yeah. I mean, Pullman, I hate to disagree with you there, but the fantasy's been presented in a very similar way. Of course, your uh, obvious attack on Christianity is clear. And, uh-huh. of course, um, Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe's um, Jesusification of a lion is quite clear, but your deployment of fantasy is very similar. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, 
obviously Lion Witch and the Wardrobe's fantasy is far more simplistic, but it's far older, and yours is far more complex and introduces a lot more um, nuanced plot lines. But, I mean, it's deployed in the same way. Um, okay, so that that being said, and what I was making similar is the fact that it's, it's Middle English France. Anyway, then there's the, the sin... The, the absolute sin of using denial of information as a way of forwarding plot. Do you mean like... Uh... Lyra, we can't tell you this yet because of reasons. You okay, must yeah, find this yeah. out on your own because of reasons. Yeah. We're not telling you this so that the, the viewer can find out this as you find it out. As if it's organic. Not as if we've just set this up by denying the information in the first place. It's an absolute sin and it frustrates me every single time. You're creating plot through denial of information. That's not a good way of telling a story. Fair enough. Because, <laughs> I mean, the whole thing, like, even down to the fact that, like, the whole predication is denial of information. So, like, I've got Lyra, right? See, when you're looking in on your uncle like, about to drink poison, right? Why not, rather than running in and have him, like, slam you onto a table, just say, here, mate, there's poison in that. You know, using basic human communication. And see, when you build characters who lack the ability to human to use human communication, it makes me disbelieve in those characters immediately. But she is a child. You could argue that a child would be more irrational and proactive than, like, they would panic and rush and smash it out of his hand. Yeah, okay, fair enough, but... And that, I don't think that's the greatest defence because I don't think that's how a child would behave. I think a child, child might go, behave like that. I think child normally just use voice. They use words. Very yeah, simple yeah, animals, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like we all are. And um, oh god, like also like why are you treating her like she's so dumb, man? Like just tell her stuff. Yeah, I just find that very bothersome. Anyway. Um, and then there's the whole like, oh god, your daemon's a symbol of your humanity and who you are as a person. And, yeah, oh. I, I find nothing wrong with that concept. That's the that's the crux of the entire <laughs> book series. Or what if you have a bear, you're brave or whatever? I don't yeah, know. what's wrong with that? Bears aren't brave. They're evolutionarily adapted to fill a niche. They don't have any human characteristic. Wait, you're just putting the bear and brave thing together, though. No one has a bear. Uh, you, you know what I mean? Brave. Like using a like a daemon to be a signifier, or making an animal a signifier of your personality. Yeah. Anyway. So that's the whole Hogwarts house thing all over again. Exactly, and I have issue with that as well because yeah. human beings are more complex than that. I think it's a good, well it's on 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 the topic of of demons. Um, just from a production standpoint, like the the show does look visually very impressive, but agreed, I think, absolutely agreed. But I think they could have maybe spent more budget. I would have been happy if they had spent more budget on giving every human in the shot their own demon, and then taken down some of the production value of like the establishing shots, right? Because the whole idea of the of the story is that everyone has a demon and they're just all over the place all the time whereas in this it only feels like the main characters have demons because they're the ones who matter uh, so yeah I don't know I just thought it was a bit weird because mm. some characters just is like what's your demon then and I, like, I don't have one it's a tiny little bug that lives inside my jacket you can't see it though <laughs> it's my jacket bug it, oh my demon's shy he's, he's not around <laughs> it's like no your demon's there all the time 
Um, yeah, so that they, like visually, the show is very good, but I just had like some issues with how a lot of stuff was like presented, uh, and uh, as opposed to the book, because like narrative wise, I think I disagree with you. I quite like the idea of the story and kind of like what like the theme of it. I just like the adaptation to television. I thought just it was just really boring. Yeah, I just was quite bored by it. Hmm. I suppose um, I didn't even touch on the fact that I did find it didn't find the story that compelling. Yeah. But I ascribe that to it. Well, it's not <laughs> your style. It's not story. my kind of thing. But anyway, go on. Um, people kept you keep using the phrase "scholastic sanctuary." Like you could do a supercut and fill about five <laughs> minutes of airtime with the phrase "scholastic sanctuary." That's not that's not in the first book at all. That's just annoying. Like the, uh, someone else taking the reins of the story and being like, "We need to have a reason why." the church Nazis haven't come after Lyra in her entire childhood. Because in the book, it's just like, oh, they just don't know. They just don't really know. They don't really give a shit about her at all. She's just at uh, Jordan College, and she's just doing her thing. But I think with a, with someone else writing it, they're like, well, people are going to ask questions. Why haven't the, the church Nazis come and taken Lyra earlier? Oh, well, let's just write a little plot device called Scholastic Sanctuary, where it means, no, you can't touch her because, like, she's in this school and she is protected. It's just, I just thought that was stupid. Scholastic Sanctuary is a stupid idea. You don't, do you know what I mean? You don't need it. Just be like, oh, they just haven't come for her because either they don't care or they don't need her yet. Like, you don't want to, you can't just put in this idea, post the story itself being written to be like, just to fill in plot holes that you've made up. Do you know what I mean? I know what you mean, yeah. It'd be like, it's this sort of whole, like, it's like if someone had written Lord of the Rings, like, if someone had written the Lord of the Rings adaption with the one question of mine being, like, why don't they just take the eagles to Mordor? It's like, that's not a plot hole that needs filled in. Yeah. There's a perfectly good reason for that, but it's not important to the story at all. I think there is a lot of that. Um... When I, I like, so I'll try to think about it without my vitriol. Um, <laughs> so I think there was there was a lot of the sense that like you're just trying to lay groundwork here, like not even lay groundwork. You're just trying to hit enough points and not tell a story. Yeah. So it's like okay, right? It's Scholastic Sanctuary. We got to introduce the the Church Nazis. We got to introduce the. Um, Egyptians. We got to introduce the fact that her uncle might be a bit dodgy. We got to introduce the fact that the head of the the master he's going to try and kill the uncle. We got to introduce the the gobblers. We got to introduce the lady who may or may not trust anyone and may or may not have gobbled her pal. We've got to introduce the fact that all these kids are going missing. Mm. We've got to introduce that there's this king of the the Egyptians that's going to go and kick some ass. It's like, whoa! Why don't you just talk about Lyra? Yeah, and, and her story. In it, you, it's like you've got an hour. You've got a series. You've got a whole season like, of just you can introduce all that stuff. They feel like they're, you know what? It feels like they spent so much time advertising Lee Scoresby and the polar bear that they're like, we got a rush to we got a we got a rush to Lee Scoresby and the bear because like that's near the end of the book almost, and people are gonna have to sit through six episodes of no. Of no Lin Manuel Miranda, no CGI bear, and we'll lose viewers. So we got to condense everything into three episodes so that she can go to the Arctic and meet the cowboy and his and his kick-ass bear friend. But uh, do you know what I mean? It just feels like they're trying to pack too much. 
I, into into one episode. I would agree. And I think it's I think it's just a maybe just a problem with writing. They're they're going to what's the most exciting bits we can give the most uh, breathing room to, and we'll just set it all up in the beginning. It's fine. I I agree, man. And I think it was messy. I think it was uninteresting. I think that. I mean, the story itself doesn't compel me. Um, I do think the acting was pretty stand-up. The, the that's roles the thing, the acting played. was really good. McAvoy, great. Lady from Luther, great. The girl who plays Lyra, great. It was all played, uh, like, they were compelling. They, uh-huh. It was played with, with heart, um, which, which also makes it more tragic, because it's almost like, what happened in editing? Like, what, ha- what went wrong here? You know, I know this could have been really good. I think that's why I've been so. Feel, I think that's why I felt so disappointed by it because it has all the ingredients for something really special, but somewhere along the way, they seem to have lost focus mm-hmm. and made something that just feels rushed and messy. And it's like you can give so much, you can give it so much breathing room if you want, and make it so much more interesting and intriguing. Um, you know, sort of like chosen one plot aside, I think, yeah, it's a very, it's a very compelling story with a lot of interesting themes. But they just seem to be like rushing over it all to get to like the action. Mm-hmm. Um, much like you know, the much like it kind of goes back to Death Stranding in a way, where like people are expecting it to be this like super big action heavy ghost war. But it's just uh, no. You just give it some space to breathe and chill, oh. and you'll have a good time. Here's here's the thing. You would think HBO would have learned this lesson. Yeah, well, after the end of Game of Thrones. Yeah, I mean, you'd think that, but this has been in production for a good few years since before Game of Thrones finished. So, but that McAvoy, though, I wanted to make a point. Say, really enjoying seeing McAvoy do some acting. McAvoy is just great. It's just amazing. Do you ever see him in Filth? Nah, I've never seen Filth. Recommend you. Well, I think one of his best roles. Yeah? Yeah. Although, there's a lot of argument that like Filth, the film, was very different from Filth, the book, but I think you can enjoy them both separately. Mm. Much like this is very different from uh, the the book of Northern Lights. Mm-hmm. It just feels, feels kind of different. Like, the same, but different. I, I am... I am very aware that I might just be coming down too hard on it because of my own bias. Uh-huh. I'm trying to look at it objectively, but with any form of media, it's very hard to do that. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, I might give it another look in. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I kind of felt like, because we, were, because we were reviewing it for the podcast, I kind of felt like I had to watch it rather yeah. than I wanted to watch it. In the space of watching episode one and two, I've, I've watched half of the entire run of Freaks and Geeks. I started watching Fleabag. Um, <laughs> Rick and Morty came back. I watched that. So it's just like... You procrastinated. Yeah, it's just like... You sh- I shouldn't have to feel like I'm procrastinating to watch an exciting show. Yeah. But, um, yeah, shout out to Freaks and Geeks, by the way. That show's been around since 1999. It's only one season. I've been meaning to watch it for years. And it's uh, yeah, quick segue. <laughs> I recommend it. I'll maybe talk about it next week when I've finished it. Well, I mean... Look, I don't actually have more to say on it than that. That's my interpretation of it. Yeah, no, I, that's the thing. I don't have much. I think this is actually... 
This is what I find most telling. So normally when we do one of these, or when we do a topic of the week, uh-huh. I have quite a lot written down. I yeah. have quite a lot to think about it. And a test I always have for media, and I think this is a good, a good litmus test for media, is do I want to grab from my phone while I'm watching this? Yeah, yeah. Now, I realise, okay, yeah. perhaps if you don't have a horrendous smartphone addiction and you feel like you want to grab for your phone while watching something, yeah, that's I find that's a problem. So, like, Goodfellas, I, I, you know, I was completely immersed. Aye. But his dark materials, I mean, I was checking messages, you know. So, Philip Pullman, I'm sorry if I slayed your work, man. I've not read your books. They're probably much better. Well, maybe give the first book a read, because it is quite good. Well, would you go outside for the HBO-BBC crossover His Dark Materials by Philip Pullman? Um, no, I would not go outside for the TV series. Uh, I would go outside for the for the books, but we're not talking about the books. The, the TV series, nah. It's not... I'm not going to spend any more time on it, I think. Um, and I would not go outside either yeah put it this way I watched I watched most of two other TV programs in the time it took me to watch two episodes of uh, His Dark Materials so you know that maybe says says it all really it does I'm just upset <laughs> I'm just a little bit I'm just like oh, I was looking forward to that because I just find it's a really interesting idea for a story and it's just that's twice now it's been executed in film badly Mm. So, oh well. Um, yeah, not even Lin Manuel Miranda can save this sinking ship. <laughs> well, thank you for listening. I've been Robin, and I've been Patch. Um, and as always, don't go outside. Yeah, don't go outside because um, there's Egyptians out there, and they're doing stuff for no reason. They're not really explaining why they're doing it. They're just uh, they're just there, um, and they seem pretty nice and all. But like, what what are you? What are you doing? Why are you here? Are you part of the story or not? Or are you just gonna hang out in a B plot to our podcast? Egyptians, I love you. I love what you're all about. But uh, you gotta you gotta you gotta let us in. <laughs> you gotta let us into your life. You gotta tell us what you're all about, man. Because J.R. Mormont is with you. And so is that pirate from Game of Thrones. I mean, I was surprised there weren't more Game of Thrones people on uh, yeah. the Dark Materials, but I suppose they were all busy making Game of Thrones when this is being made. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'd let James McAvoy in. Can we take, Jack? Yeah. Jinx, James, we could have James watch as well as you. Podcast sanctuary <laughs> <laughs> for James McAvoy. Keep him away from HBO and the BBC. Uh, just, uh, yeah, we'll look after you. Bye!